Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, February 28, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And before we get into uh, some of the weekend's best games and some stuff on the Big East, I did want to acknowledge that Iowa, uh, subsequent to our Wednesday morning podcast, did suspend Fran McCaffrey for two games after he reportedly called an official a cheating mf or following a loss at ohio state our last podcast was recorded after fran went bananas but before iowa suspended him we both on that podcast that was recorded wednesday morning um thought that he deserved a suspension and he got it two games norlander we won't spend much time on this but uh, let me ask is the two game suspension is is it appropriate it is and it's more than what i expected um you know on the previous pod i i actually thought that he was not going to face this kind of discipline but good to see. Um, after we recorded and before the news came down, I did hear from a Big Ten coach who said this is almost certainly going to be a suspension. And then like 30 minutes later, the news came out uh, that indeed that it was. Um, it's the right call. It's the right number of games. Uh, no issue with it whatsoever. Uh, two thoughts on this. One, McCaffrey had a press conference there. And as I watched what he said in the press conference, I had, you know, I was just thinking back to our, our very podcast conversation. Like, when he was describing how regretful he was and how he got caught up in the moment, like, he's he is a completely reasonable human being. But the fact is, he has had these bouts of anger that happen in games, and in this case, after the game, away from the public, that, uh, that makes for, you know, a, a really fascinating case study into how the mentality of coaching for these guys, for so many of them, uh, can really just change who they are. With McCaffrey, it just seems more exaggerated than others, but I don't have an issue with that. And what's also what's also interesting about this is just purely from a resume standpoint, so they won't have McCaffrey for the home game Saturday at Rutgers, and then Iowa plays at Wisconsin on Thursday. Um, the committee is not going to take into account that kind of suspension, and like it's if they lose, they lose. It's not even like a player injury situation. So if anyone was curious, like, what if Iowa loses both of those games? They don't have McCaffrey. Will they be afforded the same kind of discount that Duke without Zion might be? No, they will not. Um, absolutely not. Talked to committee members in the past about this. The same kind of thing applies um, when sometimes when you have a, a player discipline issue. Uh, it's not It's not necessarily the same as having uh, the unfortunate uh, luck or bad luck of, of a player getting injured. So just keep that in mind. And then weirdly, by the way, you know, Iowa is a quality win for teams out there. If it continues to dip, uh, I was flirting between quad one, quad two status if you got them at home or not. So there are some ripple effects to, uh, to the McCaffrey suspension. I, I thought he said all of the right things. You know, he took responsibility. He apologized. He didn't try to explain it or rationalize it. And I, I can't speak to whether he's being sincere or not. Um, but I know that once somebody, and I think this is almost in all walks of life, you know, once somebody says, you know what, I was wrong. And I'm sorry I did that. And I apologize. And I'm going to do my best to, to not do that again. I don't know what else there is to talk about. You know, like whether it's in a personal relationship or in a professional relationship or, you know, when it comes to, you know, people like us um, having discussions about things that go on within the sport of college basketball. We could spend 20 minutes the other morning talking about how Adeline Fran was and what type of um, discipline he deserved. And I, like you, didn't expect it to be two games. I thought it might be nothing. 
other than like a reprimand. Um, but but if it were an actual suspension, it would be a game. So I think Iowa, at the very least, I mean, reasonable minds could disagree on this. Um, maybe somebody thinks it should be for the rest of the year. But I, I think two is perfectly uh, perfectly reasonable discipline. It it proves the point that I, I think the school was trying to prove. And then when France, you know, so once that's done, you know, we, we spent all the time talking about what we thought should happen, why he was out of line, um, why coaches act this way, even if, as you put it, Fran is – um, an exaggerated example, but once the discipline comes down and it seems appropriate, and once Fran says, "You know what? I was wrong. I accept this punishment, and I'm, um, you know, I apologize, and I was out of line, and you know, I'm going to work to be better." I just, uh, I sort of say, "Okay, good," and uh, I hope you are. I don't know what else to say other than that, right? Yeah, I'm pretty much there. Um, you know, eyes will be on him for the rest of the season into the Big Ten tournament. Just, you know, it's one of those things where it just has become a thing. And so if Iowa gets a bad call, you know, anyone who's broadcasting the game, the director is going to have a is going to have a camera trained on him just to see if uh, he loses his cool or not. But two games, totally fair. And um, yeah, we and we, we just move on. I was still obviously going to be in the NCAA tournament. Big picture. This has been a year of progress for them. But, you know, another unfortunate incident, uh, one that could have totally been avoided by McCaffrey wasn't. And we'll see if this time he has actually changed for good because you can't have anything like this again. If you do, then it's like you are what you are. I mean, many will say he is what he is at this point, period. But maybe something like this, um, which was different from all the other ones and that he was caught accusing a, an official of being crooked, uh, will be the thing that finally changes him. And maybe this is the last time he ever has any kind of uh, public embarrassment. Well, now people will be watching for it. You know, like there's going to be a million basketball games played this weekend, and if Scott Drew gets out of hand, or, um, you know, uh, Brad Brennell gets out of hand, it, it won't be on Twitter. It'll just be like this: these things happen in basketball games sometimes. But if Fran in the next game or any game, the rest of the season or next season, every time he has a moment, it will be a thing because of this moment. And I really do think it, it maybe gets to a point where. Okay, you get a two-game suspension for this one. Do something else? All right, well, now we're going to sit you down for 10 games. Do something else? Okay, maybe we're going to find a new basketball coach. And so um, you know, I, I hope that you know, he's sincere when he says he's going to work on handling those moments um, a little more maturely than he has handled those moments. And perhaps, like, it's not a maturity thing. I shouldn't use that word. It's just that he loses it in the moment. Um, I think you said use the phrase fits of anger. He has fits of anger that are – uh, not normal. And um, if he really uh, is going to work on that, I hope he's successful. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish him luck. Before we get into the weekend's games, uh, one interesting um, score from Thursday night just went final not too long before we started recording this. Xavier 84, St. John's 73, and that game was played in the state of New York. So that's a road win for Xavier, a home loss for the Johnnies, and they're now 8-8 eight and eight in the Big East. Xavier also 8-8 eight and eight in the Big East. Uh, it's been a weird league this season. There was one point where, um, you know, there were only two teams. Well, I guess we're back there now. Uh, I was going to say there was a point where there were only two teams above 500 in the league, Marquette and Villanova, and with St. John's taking this loss and dropping to 8-8, eight and eight, that means there are now only two teams in the league with league records above 500. That's not normal. Weird league. One coach told me earlier this week, I has to be going in because the Big East totally stinks. 
no one, no one's, uh, no one's saying it. The, the teams are terrible. If if Xavier is able to go in and do this kind of damage to the top of the league, and this was prior to the St. John's win, uh, it's just not that good of a league. Like Villanova, uh, use the phrase "smoke and mirrors." I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that for sure or, or whatever. But uh, it's hard to disagree with in this moment. Weirdly, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last podcast or not. I know I mentioned it on CBS Sports HQ, the Big East. Um, well, prior to Thursday was the only conference in America in which all of its teams were above 500, but it's definitely taken a big step back. And now, I mean, you know, you had Marquette lose at Villanova on Wednesday night. That was weird because Marquette went without a field goal in the final five minutes of the game. I feel safe in saying Marquette is not going a five-minute stretch the rest of the season where it doesn't get a field goal. Um, so credit to Villanova and Jermaine Samuels. Like, big win for them. There's only one game separating them in the standings and, and all that stuff. But um, for St. John's, like, they're going to get in the tournament because uh, they, they have to. I mean, I think they would project after this loss, Parrish, I think I'd have them. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd have them as a 10, I think. And then after that, I don't know what to make of this league. Georgetown, Xavier. Like, Xavier has – they're suddenly, like, just okay after what I th- – I thought they were the worst team in the league two and a half weeks ago. And now they have moved up. Granted, you know, they're they're what? They're level. They're 8-8 eight and eight overall. But between them, Georgetown, Seton Hall, Butler, Creighton, Providence, and then maybe and then maybe DePaul. I don't know. It's a complete jumble. Just not a great year for the Big East at all. And yet it is comfortably – and I mean – comfortably ahead in the Kempom uh, conference ratings of the Pac-12 and the American, and it's not a good year for the Big East. So maybe that's a, a weirdly that's a good thing is you can be this average and still easily rate as the top five league in America. But that's just a bad – it's a bad loss for St. John's. It's it's playing itself out of uh, out of a seed situation where it has no business being. With the talent they have, it's, it's a problem. So um, – just worth mentioning there. Maybe Xavier is going to be, you know, a bid thief. Who knows? Maybe, you know, Travis Steele in year one, he's getting it right. You know, he's a he's a former Chris Mack assistant, and Steele and Mack have gone opposite ways the past two weeks here because Louisville can't win a game, and Xavier's now won five straight to uh to really turn its season around. So good for him. But for overall, GP Big East, it's just a big bucket of meh. Well, how about this? And this says, I think, more about the rest of college basketball and the mediocrity around the bubble than maybe it does even about the Big East. So St. John's is now 8-8 eight and eight in the Big East. And you and I agree. Um, the Big East is garbage this year. Like, I don't know that there's a great team at the top, and I don't know that how many good teams are actually in it. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I've got Marquette in the top 10, so I guess we're calling them one of the 10 best teams in the country, and you might not call them that. Um, it's certainly debatable. The computers do not say that they're one of the 10 best teams in the country, but maybe they're great or at least really good and have the potential to make a deep run in the bracket. But Villanova is flawed to its core. Um, You can't lose the type of games they've lost this season, both in November and December and as recently as the past couple of weeks, and be considered a quote-unquote good basketball team. So St. John's is 8-8 in that league and safely in the field. Safely. Like Jerry Palm's got him as an 8 seed. Now it hasn't been updated to reflect this loss to Xavier, but that ain't going to drop them to the bubble. I mean, it might drop them, a, you know, to a nine, maybe as you put it, a 10. But St. John's is still safely in the NCAA tournament with an eight and eight record in a mediocre slash bad Big East. That's how soft the bubble is this season or how bad college basketball in the middle is this season. I agree. Um, and I want it's funny uh, for our next podcast on Sunday. I did want to 
I didn't want to get too much into the bubble on this one because I frankly I wanted to wait for Saturday and Sunday's uh, you know quota of results before we really took just took a tour because we haven't done that too much and I think that's uh, to our testament here because sometimes I think you, we can get a little too caught up in bubble stuff on February 7th when there's, by the pure nature of that, um, there's just so much stuff that has to sort out and teams can just fly off never to be seen again or they can vault out uh, before maybe dipping back down into some uh, troublesome territory in the start of March. But you're right, and bubble's bad every year, but uh, I, I just, I'm looking at what I'm seeing this season, Parish and I've never been more convinced that we are going to be um, cruising with five, six, and seven seeds uh, into the second round. Um, obviously, there will be upsets and all that. I get that. But to me, if you really take a look through Palm's bracketology, you look at the bracket forecast, and you see, and you, you check out, and you see, okay, who's you know, who are the teams along the the 11 line, the 12 line? Well, you've got, like, you've got Florida. You've got Temple. Minnesota, Alabama, Seton Hall, Ohio State. Okay. And then who do you got in the 5-6 area? You've got K-State. Okay, they're near the top of the, the Big 12. Iowa State, a little inconsistent, but you know what? As talented as any team in that league. Florida State is coming off its longest win streak in ACC history, uh, and it's a good ACC this year. Even the teams that might be uh, continuing to climb up, like Mississippi State back on track, Virginia Tech, even Iowa, with all of its faults, is uh, is a really elite offensive team. And then if you want to even get into it, like Buffalo, if you want to put them in there, they're damn dangerous and might be better than the C-line they get placed on. And the same thing could be said of Cincinnati, maybe even a Washington. So when I look at the way that, again, it's still a blurry picture, and it will crystallize here in about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, I will love to be wrong because I love how the bracket can do this to us every single season. But I can't remember a year, even when like the bubble was relatively bad, you know, any year in the past seven or eight GP, I can't remember ever feeling like, wow, I am I am so much more in on the teams that would fall to the five, six, seven line versus like upset potential of the 10, 11, 12s. Now, check back with me in two weeks. When my, <laughs> I'm sure when my opinion completely changes. But it's, uh, yeah, it is certainly underwhelming this season. It feels like as much as, if not more than any over the past five or six. It certainly does feel that way. Um you know, if you and I look at these projected brackets every time they're updated, because it's literally our job to to be able to, to know this stuff and talk about this stuff. But I'll tell you, if you're just a casual college basketball fan who follows the sport on a very surface level, like you watch the games and you know who's in the top 25 and who isn't, if you go show them who like the last four teams are in that, that are in, they'll go, really? I thought that team's I thought that team was garbage. They're in the NCAA tournament. Like. Yeah. The idea that Minnesota is safely in, and I'm happy for – and I don't know if they're safely in, but they're projected in right now. I mean, I'm happy for Richard uh, Patino, but, like, they really haven't done much this season. You know, Alabama, like, in the bracket right now, 17-11 and 11 record, I think. Uh, that, that's at least what the last update on Palm's bracket. Let me see where they actually are right now. Yeah, 17-11 and 11 overall, 8-7 and seven in the SEC. Uh, lost three of their last five, and in the bracket. Like, if you just ask somebody, how's Alabama this year? They'd go, I don't know, not not good. Well, they're in the NCAA tournament as of today, and it, it feels that way about, like, maybe eight or nine teams, yeah. which um, seems excessive relative to other years. You and I agree the bubble is always 
uh, one of the things I've said for years now, if you don't get in the, if you're in a power conference and you don't get in the NCAA tournament because you have opportunities in your league to, to build a resume, if you can't get in, you're just not good. Uh, I, no excuses because we don't, we don't leave good teams out of the tournament, not a 68 team tournament. We don't leave good teams out. We leave, we put bad teams in. We put average teams in. College football playoff, we leave good teams out. NCAA tournament, we uh, we put bad teams, we put bad teams in. And yeah, we'll have bubble talk, plenty of bubble talk throughout the month of March, leading up to uh, Selection Sunday. We're going to preview this weekend's top games uh, momentarily, but first, uh, I wanted to thank those of you who have subscribed and rated the podcast five stars, left nice comments. I know I usually do it at the end of the podcast, but I feel like. By then, sometimes you guys know, like, that is the end of the podcast, so it's just like stop and move on. And I want to make sure that, um, you know, I, I show proper appreciation because the numbers are, are way up, the ratings are way up, the nice comments are, are coming by the day, and um, it really does help us from a from a Apple podcast perspective and help us with our bosses and all that stuff. But it, it um, you know, it, it helps us, like, it, it, it makes the podcast more visible and makes it easier to find for folks. And so uh, you guys have been great about doing that. And I did want to give a special shout out to Quinn, the sixth grader, because we got this note um, earlier this week, Norlander. It said, um, I give this a five-star rating because this podcast always keeps me updated on college basketball. I am only in the sixth grade, but I want to have a good basketball career because my dad was great and so was my grandpa. And I hope this podcast will keep on going and I want to get a good scholarship to go to Duke. Duke is my favorite basketball team. I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. I love it. Five stars. That's from Quinn, the sixth grader. And it just sort of made me smile that there's a sixth grader. I, I always envision what our audience looks like, probably a lot like us. But the idea that there's a sixth grader out there subscribed to the podcast, it just made me smile a little bit. I like the idea that, that we got a, you know, a, a kid, a kid in the audience. And I, I, I'm assuming Quinn's not the only one. So special shouts to Quinn. Shout out to Quinn. Hey, that's a that's a great thing, man. Getting on a sixth grader logging on, logging into a five star review. If he can do it, any of you can. And uh, yes. yeah, I don't want to hear any excuses from you seventh graders out there. If Quinn, the sixth grader, could do it, then any of you seventh graders and up ought to be able to handle it as well. So please, um, go subscribe via Apple Podcasts. It's easy to do. Um, five stars would be appreciated. Leave a nice comment, and you can. Like I said, we really do appreciate it. Um, so. Big games this weekend, and we'll just sort of take them in, honestly, whatever order I put them in my computer file right here. We'll start with the biggest. Number four, Kentucky at uh, number seven, Tennessee. Tip is scheduled for Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. Um, Right now, Jerry Palm's got Kentucky as a one seed. He's got Tennessee as a two seed. It is not hyperbole to suggest this could um, determine and not only who is a one seed in the NCAA tournament, but also who is an SEC champion because we've got a three-way tie at the top right now between Kentucky, Tennessee, and Will Wade's LSU Tigers. And obviously the loser of this game is going to be in a little bit of a bad spot because they will at least be one game behind uh, the team that beat them and perhaps also a game behind LSU. Yep. And I do think that either Kentucky or Tennessee will ultimately wind up with a one. I believe that will wind up being the case. If, if for it not to be the case, uh, Tennessee has to lose this game, and then Kentucky needs to drop like two, maybe three games to to move off the one line. I don't think that's likely to happen. Uh, fascinating game here. What I missed there's so there's a little bit of a 
a little bit of a subplot going into this. Um, so, gr so Tennessee had some uh, – maybe it was after their win or they had some media availability earlier this week, and they had uh, – Admiral Schofield had, you know, made passing mention of the fact that, like, Grant Williams and Tennessee are supposedly afraid of P.J. Washington. Now, when I covered the game in Lexington two weeks back, if that was said, I, I just, you know, amidst doing uh, HQ stuff, writing the column, I missed that entirely. Or if it was said the next day, I just don't remember there being a thing about Tennessee being afraid of P.J. Washington. So forgive me if that wound up actually being uh, something of a, of a running theme, and I totally missed it. But what I do love is that you got a little bit of this going into this game because, uh, frankly, college basketball could use a little bit more of just some, some verbal chippiness and just a little bit of a, you know pregame trash talk. Tennessee will not be scared, I assure you of that. Now, P.J. Washington has been the most valuable player for Kentucky this season. He's been tremendous. Uh, I'm going to take Tennessee to win this one, though, and I'm going to take them to win in a good game but in a comfortable way. So something along the lines of 77-71, but Kentucky, it never feels like in the final five minutes of the game it's really theirs to take back and steal on the road. So I'll take the Vols, and in doing so, Create a very interesting um, conversation for the for the one seed in general. Just let me digress real quick here, GP, because we've got uh, the one seed this weekend. I think is going to push the conversation even further as it does. But I love that we have right now a lot of viable teams still jumping toward the one line, trying to get there. Obviously, right now it's a consensus. I think it's a consensus. It's Virginia, Gonzaga, Duke, Kentucky. But in my opinion, Michigan State. Tennessee, of course, uh, North Carolina, Houston, Michigan, and even this is a long shot, but two long shots, I think. If LSU never lost again till the end of the season, and if Texas Tech didn't lose again, they would have a case. I'm not saying they would get there, but you have essentially, what, 11, 12 teams that if they get there, they're not going to. They, they, these teams always lose. But again, whereas I said before, Parrish, like, I couldn't remember a season in recent memory where the 5, 6, and 7s looked so much better than the 10s and 11s and 12s, like the gap was so huge. Um, I remember last year the chase for a 1 was pretty interesting, but not this deep. I'm loving that we still have this. There's plenty of time for turnover here, and what we get this weekend, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee most notably, but even outside of that, uh, will still help shape that. Heading into the league tournaments, I still feel like at least two, if not three, one seeds will wind up being up for grabs. So the origin of the scared of P.J. Washington stuff um, is a quote post-game from Kentucky's blowout of Tennessee at Rupp Arena. Um, Tyler Hero was asked about P.J. Washington. I I'm not sure of the exact question, but his answer was, quote, I think they're scared of P.J., honestly. Scared of P.J. I think a lot of people are scared now that he's scoring like, like he is and doing what he's doing. And so – that clearly got back to the Tennessee locker room because the scene from, you know, their impressive late last minute win at Ole Miss earlier this week, reporters were talking to Grant Williams about, um, about, you know, Kentucky coming up next. And that's when Admiral Schofield walked by and said, hopefully we're not scared of PJ this time. And it's a clear, uh, you know, reaction to the Tyler Hero quote from the first game. And Grant Williams was subsequently asked more about it, and he was asked for his thoughts. Like, what did you think when you heard Tyler Hero say you were scared or Tennessee was scared 
of P.J. Washington, and he said, quote, it made me laugh. Tyler said it after the game. I just laughed. I have respect for P.J. I respect the world out of him. He's talented. And then somebody said, but again, scared? And he said, no, I'm not scared. And so I'm with you. I Like, I don't, like, this is very minor stuff. Like, Joel Embiid and Russell Westbrook would have a much better back and forth. But I like this kind of stuff. When when guys are, when, you know, are personally invested in this. Like, like taking offense to what other people are saying. And then talk, speaking back on the subject. Not hiding from it. Not, uh, not talking around it. Um, Admiral Schofield making a point to bring it up in advance of the game. Like, I love all that stuff. I do, too. And Schofield is one of the better quotes in college basketball among, uh, among players out there. Getting to talk with him a couple weeks back. And uh, no shrinking violet. I love that. GP, who are you going to take in this one? Are you going to ride with me or are you going to make it even more interesting and try and, uh, and try and you know split the vote? Anybody who listens to me predict games knows that, A, I'm not very good at it. And, B, um, I almost never take a team of this caliber. Um, I, I almost never go against a team of this caliber at home. Like, I've probably mumbled these words a billion times. Like, I'll just take the home team. You know, in this game, I'd just take the home team. I think Kentucky and Tennessee are comparable. I think they're comparable basketball teams. I think they're both legitimate Final Four contenders. I could see either winning the national championship. I won't pick either to win the national championship, I don't think. But I could see either winning the national championship. Like, you don't have to have a big imagination to imagine that. Um, And because I think they're comparable – I'll take the team that's at full strength and inside its home arena. Tennessee hasn't lost there all season. I don't think uh, Saturday's going to be the first time. Okay. Um, I'm with you, and in doing so, makes the makes the race that much more interesting. And we'll see if Grant Williams, if he can come up big and continue you know, his first-team All-American push, I think he's going to have to have a huge game. We need P.J. Washington if we really want to get this thing going the way it needs to go. How good would it be if P.J. Washington, you know, like when Kentucky comes out the tunnel just before tip-off, if he's wearing, like, the scream mask or something? I, I had no idea where you were going with that. But, uh, yeah, it'd make for a hell of a hell of a meme, a gif, I guess. But he's not P.J. Washington. <laughs> P.J. Washington, does he know – does P.J. Washington even know that the movie Scream exists? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. It was it came out it 100% came out before he was born. Now he probably if if you showed him what the mask is like have you ever seen this mask before? It's probably a yes. Like it entered into the mainstream. It's entered into the culture and all that. But I it's not that it, whether he's seen it or not. I'm I, I'm like almost all in on him never having watched Scream. It's does he even know that there was a movie named Scream made in GP, do you know what year it was? Ooh, um I think trivia I was... time. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm gonna say 1997. I feel like I was uh, at that. Point. I okay. I feel like I was still in, still in high school, and I graduated high school '95. So I'm gonna say Scream came out in 1994. You are. We're both. Uh, so Scream Two came out in '97. Scream movie. Uh, I think it's '95. '96. Wow. <laughs> Scream was '96. Scream 2 turned? No, it had to be 98. It came, wow, look at that. So I was actually close. The Scream came out in December 20th, on December 20th, 1996. How about that? Almost 97. Almost 97. <laughs> just 12 days out from that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that uh, P.J. Washington, 
I don't even know how we landed on this, but he is <laughs> unaware. If anyone, if hey, listen, if anyone that's covering this game, if Kentucky wins, and even after that, if you want to work this in and get back to us and be like, hey, are you aware of a movie starring uh, Drew Barrymore, Nev Campbell, was Matthew Lillard's in there? Who else is in there? Who, who's um. Oh, Courtney Cox and uh, David Arquette. Drop any yeah, like, of those names on them. I can't even remember. No, I remember that many cast I thought, members. I remember Courtney, uh, Courtney Cox and uh, David Arquette. I remember both them being in it. Those. That's all I remembered. I did not remember. Um, How do you not remember Drew Barrymore? She's she's in the most memorable scene of the movie. Opening scene, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but you would have asked me five minutes ago to name people who were in Scream. For whatever reason, I would not have remember drew barrymore but then when you said drew barrymore i can remember the scene it's the opening scene that's correct really one of the better opening scenes of any movie in the 90s i think and it was it was also this has turned into a movie podcast we'll get on we'll move along but it it, it kind of reinvigorated the the horror genre and at the same time it, it kind of broke that fourth wall and uh it was you know it was winking at its audience throughout i thought it was actually i think that movie probably holds up it's been a good it's been at least 15 years since I've watched it, but I want I bet that, that that it still holds up for what it was. What I remember being wild about it, and I might be misremembering this. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But, like, I think at the time, Drew Barrymore might have been the biggest name in the film. And, like, w- when in movies do you kill yes. your biggest name in the first 10 minutes? Like, You're that's r- just not a normal thing. Like, the you know, Scream starring Drew Barrymore. Boom, she's dead 10 minutes in. Like that what I remember that being jarring. Like really? Drew yeah. Barrymore's already gone? I remember that being a thing. You're absolutely you right. And she probably was the biggest, but if it wasn't her, it was Courtney Cox cuz you're entering like third season of Friends at that point. Like star is has already ascended. Uh but absolutely what you're remembering is correct. The uh, the idea that uh, you would kill her off that way right at the top of the movie, uh it was it was a different a different approach from what you would expect seeing movies back then. Um, so where do we go from here? <laughs> okay, just one more idea. Pre-game, okay. PJ okay, doesn't have a screen mask because perhaps that breaks some sort of uniform protocol. But sneaks up behind Grant Williams like you do sometimes and then just goes, boo, and sees if, see if he flinches. That's see if he could actually scare Grant Williams. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, could he actually scare Grant Williams even for just a moment? Grant Williams says, I'm not scared of P.J. Washington. But what if P.J. Washington sneaks up behind him, like in a hallway at Thompson Bowling, and then hits with one of those, boo! Could he get him to flinch a little bit? And then he'd say, ha, 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 I knew you were scared of me. Uh, what's the second best game of Saturday? The second best game? I don't know if it's the second best game, but it's the second one I've got on my list. ESPN's college game day going to originate from Houston this weekend. We'll get to that in a second. First, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So it's UCF at number eight, Houston. Tip is scheduled for Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on ESPN. But even in the morning, uh, Houston is going to be featured prominently because game day uh, did announce earlier in the week that that's where game day is going to originate from. And we don't usually talk about where game day is going to originate from. It doesn't really matter much. But I do think it's an incredible accomplishment for Kelvin Sampson and his staff and the players in the team and that administration. Like, let's just lump them all together. You know, Houston has been a mostly nothing basketball program uh, since, you know, the five slamma jamma days and Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon. And Kelvin Sampson has built that thing into a team that was a you know ranked basically all of last season it you know and and has been ranked much of this season is now in the top 10 and built it to a point where college game day um, which is the biggest uh, you know saturday morning television show connected to college basketball has built it to a point where they said we're going there yeah kentucky's at tennessee we're going to houston an american athletic conference school to you know to highlight a game between the team that was projected to win the league UCF and the team that looks like it's now going to win the league and then who knows what else Houston I just thought I even texted Kelvin earlier in the week just to say hey man congrats on that that's a big deal for that school you know yeah and I've been driving the Houston bus all season long big deal I I like seeing that and this is also so uh, the football version did UCF game day back during football season so the americans got into you know prime spot here and that's not a typical decision uh for game day houston is the only one lost team left in college basketball what it's been able to do has been amazing this season because it lost a lot of important players last season have documented some of this stuff on cbssports.com throughout the season um parish has had houston in his top 10 for a while now i put them in the power rankings, which is a different ranking dynamic than what GP does on a daily basis, I put Houston in the, my top five that published on Thursday because, um, you know, given the way that you try and assemble things with power rankings and it's more about, rec- you know, recent play and teams on hot streaks and all that, it's time. I mean, when you are when you have won 27 to 28 games and you are in an, an obvious, undeniable, multi-bid, major conference, uh, you are one of the five most impressive teams in college basketball. Um, I think there are still sellers on Houston because it has not been a team that's been in the NCAA tournament with regularity. It doesn't have a player of the year candidate. It doesn't have a first team All-American candidate. It probably doesn't have a second team All-American candidate. I doubt they're going to have any of those guys that are going to really flirt with uh, with top 10 status, but whatever. This team has been just tremendous all season long. Is only a four-point loss at Temple away from being undefeated, and by the way, that game was decided on a block charge uh, decision call, so they could well be an undefeated team. Credit to them I do. Th- I'm. I will not pick Houston to win the national championship, but I do think that they are capable of doing so. Would they need a break or two in the bracket? Yeah, but you know what? Many teams need a break or two to go their way in the bracket. Still, uh, that that backcourt's awesome, and it's it's just 
they're well overdue some for some real widespread national respect in pub. Maybe that'll come if they win at Cincy to close out the regular season. That's a tall task to ask of them. This has been a great story, one of the best in college hoops this season. They're 14th at Kimpom. They're fourth in the net. They've got a win, and they don't have these big wins like like Duke has or Virginia has because mostly because of league affiliation. You know, they don't they haven't got the opportunities. And clearly, if they played in the ACC, they wouldn't have the same record. But you and I, um, we we rank teams with different methods. But one of the things you and I agree on is that um, a lack of losses has to matter. Like just winning every time you play, or damn near every time you play is um is worth something um they've got a win over the lsu team that's currently tied with kentucky and tennessee for first in the sec an lsu team that has beaten kentucky uh and tennessee that's right right yes okay they've got a win at tulsa that might not sound like much and maybe it's not but kansas state's in first place in the big 12 and they lost at tulsa and so you start like you know Okay, these wins here don't look that impressive. But you start looking at, well, they won at Tulsa. Kansas State didn't do it. They beat LSU. Kentucky and Tennessee couldn't do it. They beat Utah State. And, you know, Utah State is in the field right now and, and, you know, might beat Nevada this weekend. And then they haven't lost games. Um, You know, we, we, we watch college basketball every night and on the weekends during the day. And we see wild stuff all the time. Teams losing games that they're quote-unquote not supposed to lose. For instance, on Wednesday night, um, you know, Wisconsin goes to – or Tuesday night, Wisconsin goes to Indiana. Not supposed to lose that game, but they lost it. Um, on Wednesday night, Maryland goes to Penn State. Not supposed to lose that game. They lost it. Houston hasn't lost those games. And so that's got to be worth something. You know, other good teams, other top 15 teams constantly lose road games that they're quote-unquote not supposed to lose. And Houston, with one exception, has avoided that completely. And that's um, that's super-duper impressive. Yeah, before we get to the next game, I'll note this too. Uh, they've got nine road wins. That's two more than Duke. It's two more than Gonzaga. It's three more than Michigan. It's five more than Texas Tech. It's four more than Virginia Tech. It's four more than Purdue. It's two more than LSU. It's four more than than Iowa State. And quality of the road competition um, across the board won't stack up to a lot of those teams. But nine road wins is nine road wins, and they've got a chance when you combine road and neutral. Um, they haven't had any neutral games yet, so the American will offer that opportunity. Could well be in a situation where they've got 12, maybe 13 road and neutral wins. If you do that combined with, say, two losses tops maybe they wind up at three maybe they lose to cincinnati in the season finale they drop to cincinnati or someone else in the league tournament you know what if that happens fine whatever they're still going to have a a plenty decent seed um their overall performance is i expect them to be uh to be rewarded well but i'm I'm saving my other houston argument for if they win at cincinnati i want to see them do that first and then we'll uh we'll circle back on this uh, number 12, Nevada, is at Utah State. Tip schedule for Saturday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network. And this is a massive, massive game. Like if um, if game day wasn't going to be at Houston UCF and they decided they weren't going to be at Kentucky, Tennessee, I would say this is the next best place to be and p- perhaps even better than those places um, because you've got Nevada, which has been a – uh, nationally relevant since the preseason and a power within that league. Only two losses, both on the road. And a Utah State team that is really good, according to all the metrics. You know, top 40 at Ken Palm, 
Um, they've got an incredible record, but they do lack a signature win. And now they've got an opportunity to get one uh, Saturday night in Logan with Nevada coming in. They're actually projected by Kimpom to win the game 72-71. And so this is interesting from both sides because Nevada's safely in the field. And, you know, they're, they're, they damaged their seating lately. You know, with the losses at San Diego State and the blowout at New Mexico, uh, I think Jerry Palm's got them projected as a five seed right now. I think that's right about where they ought to be. Um, so they damaged their seed a little bit, but Nevada, no problems. They're in the tournament. Utah State might be in a place where it needs a signature win to present to the committee on Selection Sunday, and your best chance to get one is is Saturday night. Meantime. Nevada has zero quadrant one wins. Mm-hmm. Actually, like at this moment, and it, this will change Saturday night, but Nevada has not even played a game that would qualify as a quadrant one game. So it's not like they're 0 and 1 or 0 and 7 against quadrant one oper- in quadrant one opportunities. They're 0 and 0. They have not played a game that qualifies. So this is an opportunity for them to, to get what would be their best win of the season. And it's an opportunity for Utah State to get a signature win to present to the committee on Selection Sunday. Just a big game from both both perspectives. For sure. This is very interesting. Um, I'm taking Utah State to win this one and doing so help its case a lot and then help the conference but then hurt hurt your best chance of getting a good seed with Nevada and, uh, and positioning yourself as best as possible to represent the league deep into the NCAA tournament. But I will take Utah State to win this one. And this was one that I thought that they were going to win um, – Back at the start of the the slate, before Nevada had played one Mountain West game, I thought they were going to lose once in the league, and this was the one I thought they were going to lose. See no reason to step off of that at all. Um, I, I hope it's a good one uh, for the sake of the conference and for both of these teams. Like I hope they just put on a really, really strong, good game. And, and you know what? If Nevada winds up winning and wins big, then that'll be huge for them, as you mentioned, with all the quad one stuff, and to do it on on the road in dominant fashion because they really need that to uh, to firmly establish themselves. Because if they if they get it, I just think that eventually they're going to be an interesting um, an interesting team to seed because they've been in the mainstream all season, top ten most of the season. They don't have the high end resume stuff. Um, the metrics, you know, they they buy into them, but uh, you know, not all the way. Um, they are what twenty third. 23rd and Massey, uh, what are they in Ken Palm right now, GP22? Like, for their no. record, that's not that's not nearly what you think they would be, so the computers aren't quite as big on them. So I'm, I'm definitely fascinated with that game. Again, that is a CBS Sports Network tip. Find the time, people, 8.30 on Saturday night. Um, I'll be different than you. I'll take Nevada on the road, um, although I'm probably, like, taking the underdog to win straight up. But you know how much I love my Wolf my wolf pack so i'll take nevada on the road but either way that is the game um or at least one of the games perhaps the main game i'll be watching on saturday night again tip is scheduled saturday 8 30 p.m eastern it'll be on the cbs sports network before we move on i don't think we ever actually picked houston ucf game mm. we're both taking houston right yes absolutely right i mean we love taco fall but i think we both have to take houston in that one um the late night tip at least for those of us um, in the Eastern and Central time zone. Uh, number 12, I mean, number one, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. Tip scheduled for Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern. You could watch that on ESPN. Gonzaga right now is number one in the top 25 and one. And before I ask you if you think there's any chance they get caught there, just some real quick bullet point stuff on Gonzaga so people understand 
that, yeah, this team plays in the West Coast Conference, but man, this team is operating at a at a super high level. 27-2 and two, with 11 wins over top 100 Kimpom teams, among them, of course, um, the neutral court victory over uh, Duke in Maui when Duke was at full strength. It is still to this day the only game Duke has lost at full strength. They are uh, 11 and 2 in quadrant 1 slash quadrant 2 opportunities. So that's all good stuff. Their adjusted efficiency margin is 34.68, and that ranks um, second nationally, uh, only uh, behind Virginia. And this is to me is what's even most impressive about that. It's 2.63 points higher than the uh, adjusted efficiency margin they had two seasons ago when they played in the title game of the 2017 NCAA tournament. So I would just stop right there and say this. If you have to acknowledge that that team was awesome because it was literally minutes away, um, or perhaps a ref noticing that Kennedy Meeks is out of bounds away from winning a national championship. Like, that's undeniable. Like, that happened. You can look it up. If you know that team was good enough to do that, and I'm telling you this team has a better adjusted efficiency margin than that team, you can't really be skeptical of this team. Meantime, their only losses are to North Carolina and Tennessee, both away from home, so two top ten teams away from home, one in a true road game, the other on a neutral court. They're undefeated at home. They are number one in the net. They've won 18 straight games heading into Thursday night by an average of 31.3 points, got the best offensive efficiency rating in the country, and they've got a rotation that features a projected lottery pick in Rui Hachimura a junior with the second-best player efficiency rating in the country. That's Brandon Clark. Got the school all the school's all-time assist leader on the team. That's Josh Perkins. And they have, count them, one, two, three, four, five players shooting at least 38% from three-point range. There's no way to be skeptical of that team. Now do you think they get caught on Saturday night? You really ran down the resume there in an entirely complete way. <laughs> Save some for Selection Sunday there. No, I don't think there's any way. Um, I'll be quick on this. Um, and they don't even have Tilly, by the way. They've had Tilly for a handful of games. He wasn't at full strength. Killian Tilly, leading scorer from last season. Wait and see if he's able to come back uh, with a – he's got a plantar uh, fasciita issue that uh, that they don't know if he's going to return or not. Hopefully he will, but depends on – you know, how deep Gonzaga goes into the tournament. Trivia time. Okay, Mr. okay, okay, okay. Mr. Gary Parrish. Gonzaga has defeated, as of us recording this podcast, full disclosure, we are doing this prior to Gonzaga's Thursday night road game against Pacific. Gonzaga has seven wins this season of 40 points or more. The record uh, that I have come across over the past 30 years is eight wins in one regular season of at least 40 points. Hmm. So if Gonzaga can do it one more time, they will match the record. Which team did it? Hmm. Won a national championship. Okay. I'm going to say it was UNLV. Not UNLV. Just for fun, let's do two or three more. UNLV is a very good guess, but not. it was not them. Yeah. Well, damn it, because I was sure it might have been. Won a national championship, beat people by 40 times, eight times. Hmm. Is it? This is tough. Because you would think it would need to be somebody from outside of the normal power structure. 
like Gonzaga or, or Memphis that. and CUSA, but that never won a national championship. That's right. Um, Chalmers for the tie. Dozier for the championship. Dozier for the championship. Dozier for the championship. Um, is it? Is it one of Roy's Carolina teams, one of the first two titles? It, it is not, but I happen to think that if you had said the 2005 team, that would have made for a fine guess. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Um, You're starting to enter into the right neighborhood. Okay. Okay, so one more guess. Is it? Nah, it wouldn't be them. It's not uh, the John Wall Boogie Cousins team. <laughs> I know they lost. I know First that's, to a, that's Downey, a playoff. Then, that's a playoff from and, the previous podcast. And then to West Virginia. Yeah. Um. Uh, I I would say. I was gonna say maybe the first Florida team, but I don't think that's the right answer. It is not the right answer. The answer is the 2000-2001 Duke Blue Devils won eight games by at least 40 points that season. That was a good team, too. Um, that whole era, you know, from, you know, 98 up through 02, uh, Duke had really good team after really good team after really good team, but that was the only one that won a national championship. Gonzaga is going to try and match that, and if they can roll here uh, against Pacific and St. Mary's, they do have a chance. You mentioned UNLV. They do have a chance to be um, as good as any team since UNLV in terms of in-conference dominance on a points-per-game margin of victory basis, if you follow me there. You mentioned their average margin of victory. Haven't seen any team do it over 30 a game. I don't think they're going to wind up above 30 because I don't think they're going to beat St. Mary's by more than 14 or 15 points, which is still impressive, but I don't think they're going to pull that off. I will take Gonzaga to win that game to go undefeated in the league and in doing so, just a quick side preview, if it does that, the only other team that can do that is Wofford if it can close out. Yes, Parrish, I said Wofford. Those are the only two teams undefeated in league play. I think both of them will do that. So we have two teams without a loss in league play. Um, and by the way, by the way, I have found – it's not hard to find, but I tracked it down. I have found our segment, our audio segment from November when you dismiss Wofford. <laughs> My question is this. Uh -huh. I would really I really kind of want to at some point like play it live on the podcast with us so we can listen back to it as it plays out and then react to it. I think that would make for some really good podcasting. No, I, uh, it would. In fact, we should hear it again. It is it's going to go down. I think is one of the uh classic examples of this. Something that sounded ex exactly right when it was said and is completely ridiculous with the benefit of hindsight. Like that, sometimes yes. that's the trick on, on with TV, right? Because you're always asked to like predict and project, and like you, nobody's great at it. Like if you were, you'd be betting on basketball games nonstop and making tons of money. The reason you lose and and have to put your credit card number back in again is because nobody's really great at this. Um, so I'll I'll sometimes be on television, and you know we'll be asked to make projections. Or, you know, predict this. Or, you know, who's going to win the Big 12? Is this the year? And what I decided a long time ago is it's not nearly as important to be right as it is to sound right in the moment. Just don't sound stupid. Like, have an opinion rooted in something. And then if it, if it, if it plays out the way you explained that it 
you thought it would, then great. And if it doesn't, hey, that's sports. It's You don't need to be right. You just need to sound right and sensible in the moment. That's radio. That's television. I suppose it's the podcast as well. I say that to say this. I think in that moment when we play it back, I'm going to sound very right. And you're going to sound very wrong. But as it played out, you could not have been more right, and I could not have been more wrong. All right, we'll mix that in. Uh, a po- don't, but do me a favor. Don't hunt it down. I want to get your genuine reaction on the podcast when we play it back because um, I also am, I, I'm not as heavily in on <laughs> what's been lost to this, and I will, I will cop to this now. I was also in on Elon potentially being a quad two, <laughs> very much a quad four. So the road win at Elon, not quite as good, but the Furman stuff aged. Uh, it aged pretty well. Real quick, Parrish, before uh, – well, well- do is um, if they close this out Saturday, Wofford, with a win at Samford yeah. to finish their season uh, in the Southern Conference, 18-0, we will bring back the clip for Sunday's Ion College Basketball Pocket. Love it. All right. That'll be a, that'll be a fun it's little cel- thing. In celebration of the Terriers and uh, Mike Young and everybody connected to that Without program. a doubt. Without a doubt. Before we get out of here, before you wrap up with what you want to wrap up with, I just do want to give hit listeners a heads up on this. We're not going to preview all these games, but we're going to talk about bubble stuff on Sunday. We have to because if you're, you know, if, frankly, if you're the kind of listener that's just coming aboard now because you're starting to get into college hoops, awesome. Thanks. Go rate this podcast. Five stars. Subscribe. Do all that great stuff. If you've been with us and always are with us, appreciate that as well. But this is the kind of the weekend where people really start to, to, uh, to take a big bite out of the bubble stuff there are so many interesting games so just here are a bunch that are on the radar that's going to be tracking a ton Furman if it wants to still have a shot has got to win at Chattanooga NC State plays at Florida State Seton Hall Georgetown's another one Ohio State on the road at Purdue Iowa State goes to Texas. I have no idea what to make of Texas. They've got a fascinating resume. TCU hosts Texas Tech, so that's Tech vying for the Big 12 championship. TCU is now very much a a tricky bubble team. You mentioned Bama earlier on the podcast. They host LSU, so that is a similar Tech-TCU situation where Bama, like TCU, trying to stay in the bubble mix. LSU, like Texas Tech, trying to win its league overall. And then two more to keep an eye on, host teams that are on the bubble. Clemson hosts UNC. And then Auburn hosts Mississippi State. There are even a couple more, but those are just stuff to keep an eye on. It is going to be a very active Saturday and, of course, Sunday on the bubble. And March will be here, baby. I love it. March, March. I've seen I've seen my buddy John Rostein tweeting throughout the podcast. He's got an hour-by-hour countdown right now going till March. We're now, since it's 9.43 p.m. Eastern right now, we are, we are almost about to hit the point where we're just three, no, two, Two hours away from, from the, <laughs> on the east you, coast for for you it's if, almost three hours. Yeah, for me it's almost three hours, but it feels like it's uh, it feels like it's four in the morning already. I I couldn't be like I can barely hold my eyes open. I'm about to die. Oh, hold on, hold on. So we're uh, I, we got to wrap here, but you're basically done with the game stuff, right? Anything else you want to touch on before I got to ask you something else? I was going to touch on Michigan Maryland that's Sunday on CBS, okay. America's most watched network, yes. America's most awarded network, the network of stars. But like, whatever, I don't really care. Oh, no, no, real quick, real quick. No, I mean because Maryland. Well, you mentioned they lost to Penn State. What's what's that about? Um, Michigan has no issues on on Thursday night. They are able to beat Nebraska, and for Michigan, you know, just winning that keeps the one seed conversation alive for them. Maryland, Maryland for me has become the team that I I have a team like this. I'll seek it out. I just know it to be true. Every year there's one or two teams. I am convinced no matter what I decide to do with Maryland in my bracket, I will be wrong. If I want to try and be too smart and say, you know what? I love this team. Sweet 16, no. 
Elite Eight. They're going to get bounced in the first round. And if I think they're going to be a first-round upset victim, they're going to win at least two in the tournament. Um, I know listeners identify with this. Everyone has one of those teams at least every season. I'm pretty sure Maryland will be that for me because I love their talent, but they just there's no excuse for the loss at Penn State the way that it came down. I mean, that's the thing. It's not really crazy to lose at Penn State. I mean, Michigan did it, you know, week before at some point recently. Um, you know, Penn State's a – it's weird to say because Penn State has uh, got a record of 12-16. and 16. They're 5-12 and 12 in the Big Ten. But, like, that's a quality basketball team. Like, they're top 45 at Ken Palm. Like, you're, you're, it's hard to go beat a top 45 team on the road. And so I, I don't really have that. I didn't freak out because Maryland lost. They got blasted. Yes. I mean, they didn't even show up. That was wild. And, you know, sometimes these late February games, coaches will tell you, like, you know what? <laughs> some will say it publicly, some won't, but it's that, like, February 17, 18 into once the calendar flips to March. You're worried about the players hating the sound of your voice. The tournament's not here yet. It's the dog days. you got these weird road games. They might just check out for a week or a week and a half, and there's nothing you can do to fight it. You see this happen uh, with certain teams just year over year over year. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened with Maryland, but um, coaches, by the time, like, after Valentine's Day is done, like, they are just hoping to get to March because when March comes, it's just it's a little bit of a renewal here. You're either fighting for your life to get into the tournament, you're vying for seed position, bracketology becomes something that even the players can't avoid. And so there's a certain energy, there's a certain drive, there's a certain renewal there, but it doesn't come until usually the, the calendar flips to March or you're in that final week of regular season when you're having the senior nights, you're playing your rival and stuff like that. So these late February games can sometimes offer um, – offer up as a trap and you've seen that a little bit with uh, with results here and who knows maybe we even get a little bit of that this weekend with the with the bubble teams as i mentioned previously you ready to get out of here now i am but i first want to tell i want you to explain to people why you slept in your car because i was so tired i was sleepy they've got um i'm now doing these they're called one minute of madness maybe videos for cbs sports hq and i have to have a man um early Thursday, and then they just run periodically, uh, sporadically uh, on CBS Sports HQ, you know, throughout the weekend. And apparently they've been doing well in terms of views and whatever. So they really want me doing these things. And so I have to write them um, and then and then record them and then send them in. It's 60 seconds of me just blabbing about a basketball game. And so I, I, I didn't I'd have time. Um, you know, at, at any point in this, you have to wait until the teams that are playing on the weekend have played their game. For instance, I, I have to do one on Michigan-Maryland, like tonight, because I couldn't do it before Michigan play because you need to know the result of that game. If it, you, know, you know, you just need to have all the information to make it proper. So I had to wait till last night to do some of these. Long story, not so long. We didn't get out of the studio until like 1.30 a.m. You know, I got back to my hotel around 1.45, and then I've got to, I had to write three of these things and stay up recording them. So I was up till like, I don't know, 4.45 or so. And, how do you go yeah, I mean, from like, hold on? How do you go from getting to your hotel at one forty five to falling asleep at four forty five? It didn't take you to you're not you're like you're like you're like Conway at the at Kanye at the console uh, of the studio <laughs> at like two forty in the morning. You're like I'm in my moment, man. I'm in my moment. There's no well, shot it should be taking you that long. Okay, here, here's here's exact here's exactly what I did. Got back to the hotel. I have to take my radio equipment because I, I fly there every Monday, fly home every Thursday. I have radio equipment that I use there to do my radio show. And it's like in a big case. It's like, you know, it's not the type of thing you want to travel with. So the folks at my hotel are nice enough to, to stash it for me 
every time, um, you know, every time I leave. So I don't have to take it back to Memphis, then back to New York, back to Memphis, back to New York. They keep it there for me. And when I check back in on Monday, um, they just at this point, no, they just go and get it out of the office and bring it to me. And I never want to do that on Thursday morning because the mornings are busy. It's a New York City hotel right in midtown Manhattan and people are checking in and people are checking it out. And I don't want to have to wait six minutes to maybe get it to the person I need to get it to. So I I get back to my hotel at 145. There's nobody in the lobby. Uh, the young lady who works there, like we're on, I was going to say first name basis at this point, but I don't actually know her name, but she she would know mine. And so I can just like, I wave at her and I say, hey, I'm going to bring you the, the case down in a second. So th- that's the first thing I got to do. Go up to my room, pack up the radio equipment, bring it back down to her. Then I got to go back and I have to take a shower because I got makeup on and I want that off of my face as quickly as possible. So I have to take, do that. There's a there's a there's an order to everything I do. Then I have to update the top 25 and one. And I have to write a, you know, 250 words at the top of that. New comments for the teams because we had Maryland losing and uh, somebody else. Marquette lost like yeah. there, there were actual adjustments to the ranking. So I had to do that. And then I'm listening to this new podcast over my dead body is what it's called. And they had a new episode released yesterday. So then I was like, you know what? While I'm packing, because I pack up the night before because I don't want to in case I oversleep. I don't want to have to do it in the morning. While I'm packing, I'll listen to this new episode of uh, over my dead body that was just released yesterday. So now that's, you know, 40 minutes. Knock that out. And then I write these things. And what I found is for me, 60 seconds of talking is about 215 words. So you write three of them. You know, you're up around 700 words of, you know, of of script and then you got to record them and they have to be recorded as flawlessly as you can. So if you stumble over one word, you hit delete and start over. And by the time you look up, yeah, it's like 445. <laughs> you're an organized disaster, my friend. That is exactly <laughs> so then I sleep till are. eight, you know, so I get like three hours, 15 minutes. I landed back in Memphis. And then I have to immediately take anything that I planted on taking to the cleaners. I have to take it uh, like right after I land because, you know, uh, because I can't be, I take it to the cleaners next to my radio studio because I don't go home when I land. That would make no sense because I live south of the airport. And if I take it, if I wait to take it to the cleaners near my home, that's not I'm not going to get it there till Friday. And they might not have it ready till Monday, and I can't risk that. So I take it to the place by the cleaners so I can pick it back up on Friday when I get off radio. So that's a thing I have to do when I land. And then I got to the studio, and I swear to God, I haven't done this, I don't think, ever. But I just I parked my car and locked it and laid the seat back and just went to sleep. <laughs> I just slept in my car for about an hour. That's how I, can it, picture it, you it, I, I realized I looked ridiculous. <laughs> I, did, I got to the point I didn't even care. I just needed to, like, close my eyes. I can just, I can, I, I'm picturing the, uh, I'm picturing the gym from the office gift where he just reclines in the car, except it's you and you got your glasses on and your eyes are bloodshot because you're on two hours and 47 minutes of sleep. And I know you got to go on the radio show. Um, I'm surprised that it's like the first time. I feel like that would be a once a month thing with you. So that's all. Yeah, well, I usually am able to sleep on the plane a little bit, but for whatever reason, I just did not sleep on the plane this morning, even though I was on no, I was on no sleep. I just stayed awake the whole time and worked. And so um, I didn't catch any, you know, usually I can get like an hour on the plane and that'll get me through the day. I didn't get any of that. So by the time it was like 2.30 this afternoon and I had radio starting at four, I was like, I set the alarm on my phone in my car for like 3.30 
And I was like, I'm just going to sleep in my car for an hour. And I, I ended up only sleeping about 30 minutes. But still, like, I felt better. As, as stupid as that sounds, I felt better when I woke up. You should check out that podcast, though. In addition to the Iron College Basketball Podcast, Over My Dead Body. Crazy story. Do you listen to any podcasts like that? Uh, not, frankly, not during the season because I just, I'm either doing music or I just don't have the time. I will binge. See, when college basketball is out of season, that's when I'll catch up. Like, I'm, I'm still in the middle of season two of Billions. Like, I have to catch up on shows and then I'll get to some podcasts. So, I... I will I will get to this one. You've recommended a couple of them, but without spoiling spoiling anything, give me your you know your two hundred word script word count on what exactly the premise of this is. Okay, so there's this guy and he's married to this woman, right? And they have two children, and for whatever reason, they the the woman falls out of love with the man, um, and she wants a divorce. Um, she also wants to move. They live in Tallahassee at the time. She hates it there. She wants to move back to South Florida, like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, because that's where her parents are. Um, the divorce gets nasty, ugly, like really, really bad. Um, the judge rules that she cannot take the kids away from the father's place of employment. He worked, he was a professor at Florida state, so she can't leave Tallahassee. All she wants to do is leave Tallahassee. She hates it there. She can't, but, but legally she can't move. And then out of the blue, uh, the guy is at his house sitting in his car talking on the phone in the driveway guy comes up pop 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 shoots him dead all right so it's a it seems like a maybe a random act of violence but the cops eventually trace the shooter back to long story not so long the the woman's family the mother and her younger brother it it appears hired a hitman to to kill the to kill the, the estranged husband so that then the wife could move back to South Florida where she wanted to be with the kids because you don't have to stay near the husband if he's, uh, you know, if he's dead. And here's the crazy thing. And this is what you're listening to at 3 in the morning. I mean, good God. So the, the two, there were two, there were two uh, men who did this, and they've both been arrested and charged with murder. There's a woman who was the connection to the family. Basically, she worked for the younger brother, and she knew people who could do something like this or would be willing to do something like this. So the, it appears the younger brother, you know, worked through her. She hired these two other guys who she, I believe, is related to. They do the act. Boom. Right. They, they've got wiretaps on the brother's phone, wiretaps on the mom. I, I mean, the circumstantial evidence is crazy. The two, the two killers and the woman who set it all up, they've all been arrested, facing like, like murder charges. The younger brother and the mom have yet to be arrested. And it's because the, the like the district attorney is like, we've got the case, but I, I get one shot at this. The circumstantial evidence is overwhelming. There's no way you could listen to these wiretaps to understand the story as it's told. There's no way the brother and the mom did not hire, did, did not hire somebody to kill their, you know, this, this guy. It's undeniable. But they haven't been charged with it yet because they're waiting to try to build the case and build the case. So this has been a huge thing in Tallahassee because, and, and in the state of Florida because it's like well-known. Like th this woman's family hired somebody to kill her ex-husband. And everybody knows it, but they haven't been charged with the crime yet. And so the final episode is next Wednesday. I can't wait for it. Now I know why it takes you so long to record that stuff. I asked for 200 words <laughs> and you gave me 475. So <laughs> that is, uh, uh, that anyway. is uh, that's chilling, anyway. riveting stuff. But uh, true crime, man, that's, uh, that's all... Uh, it's the genre du jour. So, 
All right, let's get out of here. Go have go spend some time with your family, and uh, we'll be back uh, Sunday night for a podcast. There's going to be plenty to talk about this weekend. We got a lot of stuff coming. Uh, some so some interesting results, and uh, yeah, some good surprises on the Sunday pod. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. If you subscribe to the podcast, thank you. If you haven't, please do it. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, 